that he did. Um, it seemed too obvious to doubt. What I doubted was the church, and that's not a good thing to doubt when you're a pastor, right? <laughs> it's like that was my full-time job. Imagine whatever your full-time job is and, and having serious doubts about whether it should even exist in this world today. That would be like, I don't know, super, you know, what you're doing is unethical or wrong or, um, yeah, anyway, so I was doubting. And I went to the guy who was leading our team saying, look, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. What, what do I have to like step down or what, what t happens next? And he just said, no, this is a great journey. Go on it. See what God does. Um, which was, in hindsight, uh, wonderful advice, but it seemed pretty radical and irresponsible at the time. And uh, so I did. And I turned to my Bible and I began to read it. And I got to these, these verses in particular. And um, I carried on reading through Acts and that, but these verses landed in my heart like a seed. And I got to the end of the journey, and the one thing I knew was real in the world was the church. And I doubted everything else. <laughs> I was like, and that's where I am today. The one thing I know God is doing in this world is He's building His church. The gospel's going to all nations. The Holy Spirit is making Jesus known to all people. And people are gathering in communities uh, of God's people in their cities, nations, all over the world. Everything else is up for grabs. Um, but the church is the one thing I know God is doing. Different shapes and forms, but that's what He's on about until Jesus returns. That's His main vehicle um, for the gospel. So uh, when we come to these verses, personally I feel quite excited because they changed my life. Um, and I hope in some ways they settle you like they settled me. And I hope in some ways if you have some doubts or uh, issues that telling you about my doubts and issues might give you some license to admit it and say, God, won't you work in my heart and just show me um, what to believe? Show me through your word how to live, um, what's real in life, because everything says it's the most real and should have your full devotion. So what should actually, um, what should I actually be focused on? Um, the other thing that comes to mind when we think about these verses is why would it be a model for church? I mean, it's like weeks or months old. We're like 11 years old. We started a thing called Resound, which is in Asia Pacific. And it's an Asia Pacific family of churches that exists to help each other grow into healthy churches. So in other words, we're saying, hey, it's going to take a long time uh, and consistency to keep growing. And, and yet when we look about what are we growing towards... We look at a church that's like a week or two old and a few months old or maybe a couple years old and we say, we want to grow like that. I mean, what businessman who's, who's started a successful business but wants to kind of grow it and go further goes, all right, let's go look at that two-year-old and their mud pie making business in the backyard and let's model this after them, right? I mean, it's like, what, what are we doing? I'll tell you exactly why we do that. We do that because uh, the planting of the church, the planter is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit planted this church and there's a purity and essence in it, presence in it. Uh, and then from there, every single church that has been planted has been planted from this church in the sense that the Holy Spirit remains the planter. So King's Cross is a planting, in a sense, of this church as the Holy Spirit continued to plant churches through different ways and different means, which is quite radical and wonderful. And those of you who are theologians are going, but what about Paul's stream? Did he start like a second stream? And how do you know if you have the Paul's church planting movement or the Peter's church planting movement? The point is, the Holy Spirit is the church planter. And to this day, whether it's a Baptist church or an Anglican church or an independent church, or what, if it's planted by the Holy Spirit, it's a planting of the Lord, and this is where we come from. It's wonderful. It's amazing to us. And so we, when we look at this, also we don't look at it with black and white lenses, but we look at it, at, at it as kind of like, a, hey, is this is what the church is like. How are we going? Because as we keep in step with the church planter, as we keep in step with the captain of the church, the leader of the church, uh, does, it, does it look like his fingerprint? So in every church, including King's Cross, you will find things that are touched more by humans and culture and tradition than you will find touched by the Holy Spirit. And some of those things should be shelved and, and, or burnt in the, in the fire. And other, other things are just permissible. It's just okay. Uh, for example, almost, uh, no, yes, almost every single sermon, uh, hold on, every single sermon 
that has been preached at King's Cross has been in English so far, about 550. Um, even non-English non speakers have spoken in a se their second language English for our sakes. We've not interpreted one sermon yet out of 550. I don't think that's so much the touch of the Holy Spirit as much as it's just our culture and our reality, and that's okay, right? But there may be some other things that we become extreme about or we hold on to that are actually unhelpful to what the Holy Spirit's trying to do, and as we walk along, we discover those, and then we have to chuck them out. Go, sorry, we've done that before. Got up here and gone, sorry, we apologize. We think we've led the church in a way that's not helpful. Um, let's stop, and let's get in, in the path of the Holy Spirit and keep that, right? Um, so, all across the family. So, what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at these verses a little bit like a report card. Uh, and so, less like a sermon and more like a report card. I get report cards, um, I get two main ones. Halfway through the year and at the end of the year, I get four report cards that are quite lengthy. Teachers take time to write things. Uh, there are a number of teachers here, um, and I'll just say, we appreciate that. As parents, we appreciate that. I look at that, I'm like, that's enough. That would be enough reason to quit my job. You have to do that twice for every... Now, I'm sure there's some copying and pasting, but some comments are too specific to be copied and pasted, unless you're just crossing your fingers and hoping. Um, and I appreciate that. But there's also a dignity. Most times, teachers write sensing they're your children. And there's a dignity. When, when it, there's been once or twice when a teacher's written, and, and I've said probably in a non-Christian attitude to Nas and the child, forget what they're saying. You are my child. You are not their student. Um, and it's, it's, it's an act of fierce love and protection, and probably wrong, have to return and go, look, you probably do have to learn from what they're saying, um, but you are not their identity. You can't carry that responsibility. But does what they're saying have some validity? Um, but most of the time, super helpful. So let's use this as a report card. If the Holy Spirit was here, oh no, let's do it this way. I regularly speak to Resound guys about King's Cross. Resound, again, the family of church, Asia Pacific, they're super key in these churches. Pray for King's Cross. I get text messages every single week, praying for King's Cross, praying for you guys. How are you going? So imagine there's a phone call kind of made. And someone goes, hey, let's just read Acts 2, 42, 47. We read it together. And then they go, when you think about King's Cross and these verses, how are you going? Is that, is that, can we do that? As I say that, who of you feel some sense of, oh, no. <laughs> just raise your hand quickly. A couple, not many. A few, thank you. The honest ones. It's always hard to admit that. Eh? Who of you feel a sense of, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I love this. What? One? Wow. I know what kind of report cards you guys used to get. <laughs> Tell me how good I am. <laughs> All right. Let, let me just, let me um, show you something. Won't you, Joel, would you mind putting up those lyrics of the song that we sang? As we get to this, it says, Let now your church shine as the bride that you saw in your heart as you suffered up on your, your what? As you offered... <laughs> as you offered up your life. Jesus is hanging on the cross, giving His life for His bride, and He pictures something, something worth dying for. So, as we give the report, let's just remember that Christ thinks she's worth dying for. And let her hold that dignity. Let us not get too picky, and let us not kind of hold the position of a teacher who thinks, this church gives me my identity. So I now, as one of your pastors, is going to use you to make me feel like I'm doing a good job. That would be entirely inappropriate. As opposed to, we, Jesus thought, was worth dying for. We are His bride. As we, as we look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, what can we discover? What can we find? Alright, so let's just hold that dignity. So what I want to say is, for all of you who feel corporately... Oh, man, we were going to be labeled somewhere between C, D, and F. <laughs> Rest. No one's getting that label. However, if the Holy Spirit, apart from me, convicts you of something, let the Holy Spirit do that. But you're not going to hear it from my lips this morning. Sorry to disappoint some of you who would like it to come a bit thick and hard. 
Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. This uh, series, this today's week is called Empowered Community. So the Holy Spirit has empowered this community. It's supernatural. Grace to say no to individualism. Most of the subheadings, the, the subhead, all the subheadings tell you about the, the, the heading, right? This implies that we start from a place of individualism. And that's true. Because when the serpent came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said to them, did God really say that? And they had to now ponder, did God really say don't do this? And, what, and, what was, and then he said, no, this is actually what's going on. You got what you think God said, he didn't really say the reason, his motive, why he, you, why he told you, why he's holding this from you, is because if you actually go and partake of it, you will become like God. In other words, be an individual. Think for yourself. Do your own thing. Do what's right in your eyes. Be a God to yourself. You don't hear God. That's okay. Know what He says. But also hear yourself and what you want and know what you, you say. And they go, it does seem good to us. They don't say like the apostles, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. We can do this because it does seem good to us, but it also seems good to us and the Holy Spirit, so let's do it. They just, it seems good to us. If they had paused to ask God if it seemed good to Him, they would have got a resounding no. But it seemed good to them. What do you call that? It's right on the board there. What do you call it when you do what seems good to you? Individualism. And so we come to this empowered community from a position of individualism. So if you struggle with individualism, don't beat yourself up. That's what you were born at. You started there. It's what we get saved out of, what we get saved from, what God shapes in us. So it's a wonderful journey. Grace to say no to individualism. I mean, this is an amazing, the power of God to transform you and me as a person. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right. Report card number one, like on the thing. English, math, phys ed, whatever it is. Here is apostles' teaching. Interesting situation for the church. I don't know who's got it better, us or them, in all honesty. Uh, let me tell you why. They had the apostles, and obviously that's super amazing. But, you know, you know pro. That's on the pro cons. They got the pro, for sure. Pro. They're getting from the apostles... Everything that the apostles had learned from Jesus, Jesus, we see at the end of Luke, explained to them all the scriptures. So the teaching is based around how Jesus has fulfilled all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament and what's happening in human history and what's God doing in the human heart through the Holy Spirit by the cross of Jesus and the resurrected life, how that gives hope and eternal life to those who believe in Jesus. And they explain that through the Old Testament as Jesus taught them. That's really cool. And they're devoting themselves to that teaching. They're learning it. But, but here's where you start to get some cons. Sometimes my memory is like fudge. I come to church and I hear something. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm going to go home and reflect on that. I'm going to talk to Nas and the kids about that. We're going to change our home and the structure and how we do things. And God has spoken. Then I go home and I think, what's for lunch, Nas? And then as I'm watching Jeremy Clarkson's farm in the evening, I'm like, oh, no, hold on. There was something at church that really, like, what was it again? And it's gone. And then I'm left to, Holy Spirit, can you just at some point be gracious enough to remind me somehow what you had kind of sparked in that moment? So, you know, I also have a phone to record things. We also can ha we record on and put things online. You can also, like, call someone up and say, hey, we had that conversation. Something you said was really helpful. I don't remember what it was. Can you just say everything again? <laughs> There's many ways. They didn't have that. Their memory had to be inspired, by, like, helped by the Holy Spirit. They walked away. You know, they couldn't go home and read it again. They, they had to come back for the next meeting and say, Peter, could you just start again from the beginning, because we've forgotten half of it. And what about that Old Testament thing? It doesn't make any sense now. Can you just tell us again? You know math, when you're sitting in the math class and the teacher's explaining it, and you're like, math is so simple, and then you go home and you're like, what language is this? I don't get it. And then you go back to the class and it's so simple. It's a horrible kind of, ugh. It, you know, they, Peter, it makes so much sense. And you go home and you go, no, hold on. 
But, you know, the Old Testament and Psalms and whatever. But David thought, it, well, did David think he was talking about Jesus? He didn't even know Jesus. Was he talking about himself? They come back. Was he talking about the Messiah? Is that really a messianic psalm or is that really about David? And Peter goes, no, blah, blah, blah. And he explains. There's, there's an anointing. Go, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And they're learning and they're growing and they're, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're learning from it day by day. They're growing in the Scriptures. Why I think we might have, a, 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 you know, at least in our prose column, is we have the Bible we can hold. We've got the, what the apostles taught. Uh, we've got the Old Testament, the books. We've got the church growing through the years and how the gospel was explained. Think about money and giving. Uh, how would we do that? Do we use the Old Testament? Uh, for those of you who like the tithe, uh, which because you think it's 10%, sorry, there's some of you don't like the tithe because it's 10%. There's some of you like the tithe because it's only 10%. Let me tell you that in the Old Testament, the real tithe was around 27% if you calculate exactly all the giving that they gave. So we come to him and go, we don't really know what to do. Paul goes to the Corinthians, takes up an offering for the poor. Think of the Christians in Turkey or something. Paul says, we're going to take up an offering. I'm preparing you. I'm getting you ahead of time because it would be a little bit unfair to arrive and say, hey, we need money for this church. Stuff's going on down and, and I need it by tomorrow. Stuff takes time. I'm sending you ahead. Take up an offering. But this is what I know. I know it's in your hearts to be generous and provide for your brothers and sisters. But keep this in mind when you give. Give as Christ gave to you. Remember how He, the Prince of Heaven, became poor, dying on a cross so that you might be rich. Give like Him. Motivated by the gospel. The New Testament turns everything around with the gospel. I'm not going to give you a rule. I'm not even going to give you a principle. I'm not even going to give you a percentage. What I'm going to give you is grace. The grace of Jesus Christ at the cross. You come through. Think about that. Work it out and the Holy Spirit will show your heart what to give. Some of you will be able to give greatly. Some of you, the Holy Spirit will just say, uh, right now is probably not your opportunity. But you'll give in grace either way. And Paul goes, I, I, I'm fully confident. I've got no worries. No dramas. Because grace outdoes the law every time. We're not, dis, we're not getting rid of the law. We're not getting rid of the standards. Grace just takes us way beyond. The Holy Spirit helps us achieve what is impossible to achieve on our own. So we come to the, the teaching and we have our Bibles and we have it in different translations and we have endless commentators commentating on things that we don't understand. You know what we don't even need? We don't even need the Holy Spirit because we have so many people telling us what the Bible says. That's a false statement. I hope you picked up on that. Of course we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our primary commentator on what the Scriptures mean. But we have so much help. The problem with those who have so much help is they forget to do anything for themselves. Right? So we have devotionals, we have rhythms of grace. We have different translations. We have different commentators. We have endless sermons online. You know, if you're, if you're coming to church for sermons, let me tell you, there's much better ones. I'll tell you the websites. <laughs> King's Cross is not a sermon center. We have, we've got all these resources, but primarily we have what they have, which is the Holy Spirit to help us know what God is saying through the Scriptures. When I think about King's Cross and I'm on the phone... How are we going with devotion to, to the Word? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How are we going with devotion to the Word? Well, um, I'm not sure. Let me just think about it. Well, in our Sunday gatherings, um, people gather and they know what to expect. So they're coming knowing what they're getting. And we've gathered about 550 times, a little more than that. And at every single gathering, a text has been opened up and has been preached from there. Almost every single gathering. Um, how many sermons have you had of someone getting up and just sharing what they feel? Well, out of 500, over 550, none. Well, how many uh, times have you guys, are you sitting under the 12 uh, principles of life? None. I mean, I'm not saying you can't pick up a book and read 12 principles for life in, in your free time and learn from it. Great. But in terms of gathering as Christians to sit ourselves and submit ourselves under, the, under God's Word, under something, how many times are you doing sermons that are good ideas? Zero. How many times are you doing sermons that are trying to uh, preach the Word of God to the congregation that we together as people can sit under it? And the elders, having said a number of times even, if what we're preaching is not in the Word of God, ignore it. And then rebuke us as well. Every time. All right. What a congregation. You know what you're coming for. You could... 
I heard a poll was done while I was gone, Mentimeter. I've, I've heard so much about this Mentimeter thing. Um, we should take a Mentimeter on whether you enjoyed the Mentimeter. But, it, but I know there's a number that, that really did. But a poll was taken asking people something about like how, do you, how often do you read the Word or, or something like that, how often do you read the Bible. How, and about, I think it's something like about 30 to 50% said regularly and about 50% said not regularly and then another percentage struggled with it. How good is that? At least half the church regularly is in the Word of God for themselves. There's a statistic that's uh, not taken in, in Australia, but it is taken in a Western Christian co uh, context that says this is the most biblically illiterate generation since 2,000 years ago. But more half or around there are in your Bibles regularly. You're, you, 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 you're breaking the stat. You're ruining it. When you, whether you pick up your phone on the train, whether you're a purist and you only read out of a paper book, whether you listen to it through, through I don't know, like here you'll read, listen to your Bible in a year or something, or whatever it is, whatever your means, you're, at least half of you are regularly letting the Word come to you and figuring it out. Amazing. That's, I think that's incredible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Our church, had, I don't know what the stats are at the moment, but at some point, and, and I don't think it would be that far from this right now, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but we had around 80% of you are going to community groups, and in those community groups, one of the things they do is read the Bible together and chat about it. So besides Sundays, and at least half of you regularly getting in your Word, there's about 80% of you who are reading and chatting about the God's Word again in the week. Wow. I don't know what grade you put on that. But amazing. I think it's fair to be on the phone and say, look, we can grow in every single way, but I think it's fair to say we're a community that's devoted to the Word of God. Does the Word of God matter in King's Cross? Yes, it does. Is the Word of God uh, in, encouraged in, the, in King's Cross? Yes. Is the Word of God sung? Yes. You know, if, if, if we went, the worship, the, the worship team leads us. How many of them are leading us in songs that remind us what the Word of God says, the truths of God, the promises of God, the gospel of God? How many of them remind us of that and give us an opportunity to, to worship God in truth? And how many of them are just a little bit poetic and romantic and not true, but, but you know, I mean, I think you, you would struggle in 10 years to get a handful of songs that have been unhelpful. What? To the worship team, thank you for devoting us to the Word of God, to worship that is true, that we can stop using our brains to kind of analyze, can I sing this, and mainly use our brains and our hearts and our hands and our voices to just join in. Can we grow in the Word of God? 100%. Can we uh, teach better? Absolutely. Can we spend more time in our devotions? Heck yeah. But does King's Cross devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? I think yes. Well done. They devoted themselves to fellowship. You know that uh, the statistics of churches that closed after COVID are frightening. I, I don't know them right now. I can't tell you, but, it, but it's terrifying. Churches that just don't exist anymore. COVID happened and churches are gone. Pfft, disappeared. The number, in Western society, the, number of the majority of the flow is congregations are shrinking. Big statistics. Every single Sunday, in a little room in Subiaco, the vast majority of King's Cross gathers. For the last, I remember hearing this 20 years ago, that we were told as pastors, 
15, 20 years ago. You've got to shift your expectation to think that if people come twice, a, twice a, two Sundays a month, that's good. You can no longer, with busy lives, Western society, you can no longer think that people will come every Sunday. You have to settle on twice a month is the standard. That's what you're going to get from Christians today. 15, 20 years ago. 15, 20 years later, life is way busier. There's way better distractions than 15, 20 years ago. I mean, think about it. I mean, what did we do then? <laughs> like ice cream at the beach was like a major event. You talk about it all week. 15, 20 years later, there's so many things you could be doing. And yet, we're nowhere near. The best we can do at King's Cross is hoping that members will come twice a month to a Sunday service. Now, there's, you know, I just think that's amazing. Devoted to fellowship. Like I said already, at least 80% of people go to community groups. They're breaking away from other things, driving. We've got Jen and Julian driving with three kids every single week to our house. Three kids, three kids. You should see their back seat and their trunk. It looks like they're relocating somewhere. Every week, they lead, they cook, they pray. They don't break down every week. I'm not sure they've ever broken down. Sorry, let me... And you're welcome to break down too. <laughs> now, I'm in my, now I'm in a hole and I'm sorry. <laughs> You've got Jeremy and Sheila. One's arriving in one car while the other's finishing a business meeting that's all over the world at the same time and arriving a little bit late straight from a business meeting. I think that's remarkable. You've got babies growing up with the norm in their life is we go in the middle of the week, out at night, to be with other Christians, to sing praises to God, for my parents to sit under the Word, for my, to see my parents get prayed for and pray for people, to share honestly, to eat a meal. And the vast majority are doing that. That's amazing. The single people. You go to work. You have to do everything yourself. You don't have someone cooking your meal for you to come home for, to. You go to work full time. You come home. You've got to cook your meal. You've got to wash your clothes. You've got, to re- you've got to do everything for yourself. And then you've got to wake up in the morning and do it all again. And yet the singles in King's Cross are in ministries, are in uh, community groups. Remarkable single people. You've got high school kids. Ella's not even a member of this church. Just, she's my daughter. She can't be a member of the church. But I, 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 she has to be 15. Sorry, Ella. Just You didn't know that. <laughs> but you're not a member yet. At 15, you can do Unite, and you're welcome to join if you like. We said our community group, hey, please pray this, this year about where you want to be. This group's too big. Some of you have to leave. You can start a group. You can join a group. But we can't stay like this. Dad, I've prayed. I'm super excited to join so-and-so's group. Do you think they'll have me? I think that's remarkable. Teenagers want to be in community. Teenagers want to be in community. Just think about that. That's not just other teenagers on Snapchat. They actually want to show up physically in a space where other people are going to ask them deep questions. You know, teenagers don't always love going deep. And, and I'm using Ella illustratively because it's safe. She's my daughter. She can rebuke me afterwards. But she's an example of what I think is fair and true about most or all of the teenagers in this church. That's remarkable. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Last night, it wasn't an exclusive event. I know everyone didn't get an invite. It just kind of happened. It just something rolled and, and some guys came and some guys didn't. If you didn't get an invite, sorry, just let us know. You'll get another one. We'll do it again for you. But some guys ended up in Scarborough, not for the UFC pre-fights or whatever it was, but ended up in Scarborough with Drasco's chicken, and Will had the great idea of getting the bastard chili. That's not me cussing, it's what it's called. And after we had all had a lovely meal, Will pulled out this thing from hell, cut it up, cut it in slices, and a few of us ate it. 
and all of us have been uh, figuring out where the nearest bathroom is since. <laughs> some threw up, some had ringing ears, some wondered if we'd make it home alive. <laughs> but it was terrible. <laughs> but we are, that's, you know what was sweet about it? This fellowship of brothers. It wasn't the food. The food was, the, food was, the memory is ter ter terrifying. Never want to do it again. Said that two years again ago. Steve reminded me, I'm going to have to get it tattooed. Say no to the bastard chili. Rhymes and rhythm. These parents, as Anna laughed, realizing she's out of that season, praise God, and others are in it. I think there's a bit of relief and a bit of evil laughter going on. But praise the Lord. So these busy mums who are trying to survive, who've got multiple children, some like Jib and Trip, three, three of them under the age of four, are going to make even more time to show up together and encourage one another and pray for each other and read stories together and talk about parenting together so these amazing parents can be even better parents. What do you call that? I think a good word is devotion to fellowship. Can you do more of it? Of course you can. Is, are people m missing out? 100%. Do people get forgotten? Absolutely. But King's Cross, I want to say... It's great to see devotion to fellowship. That's countercultural. That's spirit-given. Can the, can the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit grow in our area of fellowship? Yes, it can. Can He touch our hearts to want to fellowship more with each other? Yes, He can. But don't leave this place discouraged. As I'm saying this, I just want to say, this. I think this is very true of the church is around. In other words, I, you know, I don't think we're unique. We can start naming them and go, they are amazing at X, Y, and Z. And you know how they do A, B, and C. In other words, we, we may not judge it as such, but the Holy Spirit is doing some wonderful things in Perth through the church. The bride of Christ is shining. Jesus is not, I don't think, discouraged in his bride. Does that mean God doesn't rebuke those he loves? God doesn't discipline? Of course we get disciplined. Of course we get rebu rebuked. Of course we need to grow. We're children. But we, we're going well. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Often we talk about this as communion, and it is communion. There was a Christ-centeredness to the breaking of bread, but also originally this meant they ate meals together. It didn't only mean they took communion together. So they would gather naturally. The temple courts was a normal place for them to gather. It was a public place. It wasn't just a place for the Jews. Everyone, it was a marketplace. We saw Jesus overturn the tables and all that kind of thing. It was a place of prayer where all the nations could come. It was a natural place to, to gather. It was a natural place to preach for everyone to hear. So they gathered there, but they realized they couldn't eat meals there. They had to go home for dinner. So they went and did that, and they just said, hey, why don't you come with me? Why don't you guys come over for dinner? When Josh does uh, a fast, uh, he has this, I, I think it's a horrible habit, but maybe it's a fantastic one of breaking a fast with Hungry Jacks. And all are welcome. All, <laughs> all are welcome to do it with him. That's maybe the meal that you want to miss. But all are welcome. People have Sabbath meals in this church every week. I know we do almost every week. And others come in and join us often. They ate meals together. Hey, come and join us. We're eating this. That happens. It's difficult, actually, if you go through like a period of time, it's quite difficult within, if, if, you, if you engage and pay attention and you, and you say yes, you come with a yes, you're going to end up at some food thing somewhere. The Korean churches do it the best, I think. You come to church, you're stuck having lunch. You're going to have lunch. Uh, church of 200,000 people in South Korea, they have lunch every single week. Their cafeteria is as big as a mall because they're feeding 200,000 Christians after every service they have. Sorry, uh, the total of the day is 200,000 Christians. We're going to eat here. I think the Korean church knows how to do this really well. We can learn from them. 
But hey, do, are you devoted to, to uh, eating? Yeah. Communion groups, most eat together. Not always great food. I, I've, I've, I mean, literally, I'm embarrassed by what we eat. It's so good. We have so many chefs. I'm not going to tell you because you'll just want to join our group because of the food. But, but it's actually embarrassing how good we eat. It, it could be. Food could actually be a major distraction. It could be like, let's forget Bible study and praying tonight or worshiping. Let's just sit around this food and worship it with our tummies. It's that good. But I know food is had. I know other groups that are like, look, man, food is sustenance. We all need to eat. Just come. <laughs> just, we'll just eat together. It's more joyful. It's more wonderful. Forget what it tastes like. We need it. Let's get... That's, that is devoted to the breaking of bread. Where Christ is central. We are gathering, eating this meal with gratitude to Jesus for what He's done in our lives. Christ is at the center, and often they would and we can. Pause and take a moment to end the meal, start the meal, in the middle of the meal, actually take communion. Bring a Christ and remember this gathering is only possible because of Jesus Christ. Remember what we're doing here, and that happens at community groups, we do that every week. That happens at Sabbath meals, if you do that every week, or rest night meals, or whatever you call that every week. That happens on Sundays after we preach every week, although we forget the meal and we just have the communion. So we have the cherry on the top, but forget the whole dessert before that. You can do it multiple times. You can keep doing it. You can go home today. You can go across the road and say, hey, guys, let's just go practice devotion to breaking a bread and go across the road and have some food and pause to pray for it with gratitude and remind each other of who we are in Christ. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. In all, in all honesty, it's prob- that's probably an area that I think we can go better. Along with prayer comes a sense of uh, we are totally dependent on God. We can't do anything on our own. And I, I think that part we kind of get. Because of the preaching of the gospel, because of that understanding of grace, I think we get a sense of dependence on God to some degree. What counteracts that, I think, is the fact that most people have jobs that are uh, paying the bills and fairly good lives, and it's quite hard to actually see, though we're entirely dependent on God for all things, it's quite hard to see how that works out practically. Where are we dependent? I mean, I went to work, I got, a, I got paid, I paid the bills. Uh, you know, like, where is dependency? So we, we struggle with it, but we know spiritually we're totally in need of God. Practically, we have such good lives here, we struggle to see exactly how we're in need of God, and we need to see past the veil of, of a comfortable lifestyle. But prayer helps us do that. Prayer brings us to that place to remind us, God, we need you and you alone. We need you big time. We, we try to pray on Sunday mornings. No, we're not trying to. We literally are doing it. You, you, uh, let me just correct myself. You can't try to pray. If you, if you pray, you're doing it. If you're talking to, the God, to God, you're doing it. You can't try and then go, was that right? Was that okay? If you spoke to God, you did it. Well done. You prayed. But we, we are praying on Sunday mornings together because we want more time as a congregation praying. And I think regularly, I'm, I haven't been to all your community groups, but I think there's prayer there. I know that in spiritual friendship groups, there's prayer there. I have a number of texts from people in this church and at this church that tell me praying for you. So I imagine there's prayer there. So I know prayer is there, but I think prayer is probably something we can, get, we can grow in with the Holy Spirit's help. Don't hear me saying, you better pray more. Hear me saying, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow in our prayers. And then let's do something about it. Let's pray. You know? Let's find the grace of God to pray. Um, oftentimes, the history, oftentimes we hear the, how his, in history all the revivals were preceded by the church gathered and praying together. And so what we do is we kind of make it a methodological kind of idea and we go, oh, the method is pray, and then when you get a revival, and we mess it all up. We, in other words, the only reason we're coming to pray is so that we can get to the revival and we're forgetting that actually prayer is its own thing. And we just need to pray. Whatever God does, God does. But we just need to pray. And so let's, we, you know, I think we can grow in this and, and we will. All came upon every soul. All their means 
this incredible respect for God and what He was doing. It means everyone realized God was up to something. I'm, I'm not sure how good we are at all. This is, I'll tell you why again. Because today you got in your car, you drove your car. Let, let's, let, me, let me be a little bit rude and go, just for the sake of the point. Today you left your comfortable house and got in your comfortable car and drove on our comfortable roads and you, you drove past a number of churches until you came to the church that you've chosen to come to and you came to your comfortable church. Right? And, and we can go on and on. I, I, me too. I'm putting myself in the, And so we can um, forget to have awe. But another way we can do the same journey is to go, today we left the roof of our heads that has not collapsed on our children, that has not left us desperate and crying out for life. Most of us left roofs over our head, a safe place. We walked out of our doors not worried about losing our lives, not worried about danger, fairly safe, and got into our well-engineered cars. I mean, it's incredible what we drive or the train that we get on or the bus that we get on, our amazing public system. And we drove. I don't even understand combustion engines. How do they work? These little, this little bomb inside my car that gets me places. It's in, it, I don't get it, but it's amazing. And I showed up, not at the church. You know, I drove past a bunch in the church. I, decided to, I came to the church that the Lord himself has put me into to be with the brothers and sisters, not excluding any others, but just those that He has placed me with for now, for this time, for this season, for this place. Acts, God chooses the times and the seasons where you are to dwell and where you are to worship. And He's put me here. This is amazing. You're amazing. You might go, but uh, we could find a better pastor down the road. You could, but God hasn't given you a better pastor. He's given you us. And I could go, well, we could find... uh, uh, what, I, I don't think we can find a better congregation, so let's... <laughs> look at you. God has put us together. Wow. You see the difference? One has all, one has not, but it's the same life. Are we seeing what God's done all around us? Are we seeing what God's doing all around us? Are we seeing the life of the Holy Spirit that is all over us? It's all over you. I need to draw to a close. I haven't been watching the time, but I feel like I must be near the end. What I want to do, uh, you know, and, and the end is, it goes, and the Lord added to their number day by day. It's, it's a bit like a teacher's report. You know, it starts out, the sermon's a bit like it. It starts out quite, quite encouraging, becomes granular, and then it kind of just ends. And... <laughs> And like, uh, yeah, maybe you could like uh, think about stuff. All right, great, thanks. See ya. I'm trying not to do that with the report. We've gone granular now. It's like, yeah, okay, so just uh, let's um, just walk with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's take communion. We'll do something in a minute. But this goes on. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who are being saved. The Lord, the Lord continues to do it. And every single day, since, I, I mean, I don't know all of history, but I, but I imagine almost every single day since, since then, the Lord has added to their number those who have been saved. Let me read something to you from the phone, my phone. Maybe we think, you know, King's Cross, we're not seeing new Christians saved every week. So maybe we're not like a spirit-filled church. If that's how you think, you're not understanding what the bride of Christ is. The question is, is the Lord adding to the number of, of all over the world to his body, his bride, his one church, is the Lord adding to his number every day those who are being saved? And the answer is yes, he is. Now we get to participate in that in different ways, and I hope we get to participate in the, and the Lord added to King's Cross. Of those that were being saved, he added some to King's Cross. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But don't miss out on the opportunity to be grateful for what God is doing in all the nations of the world. Don't make it so individual. It's about King's Cross that we can't see what God's doing in the community of the saints all over the world. You may be a member of King's Cross, but the thing that you're a greater member of is the body of Christ. What is God doing in His body? In His body in the world? What is God doing in His body in Australia? What is God doing in His body in Perth? What's God doing in His body in King's Cross? Some wonderful things. Let me read to you what was said about the church 
125. If one or other of them have bondmen or bondwomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him in their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of the Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his need. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. In other words, I won't eat so that you can. Listen to something else that was said about the church in the mid-300s. Emperor Julian was angry with the church and trying to stop the spread of Christianity. This is what, he said that the reason for its growth, this is why the Christianity was growing, was because Christians were charitable to the poor. The, uh, the empire, so the, the first one may have been mostly about the Jewish churches grew. This one is about mainly the Gentile churches that grew. The impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well, he complained, welcoming them to their agape. They agape. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. <laughs> How cynical. You know what? They're going after poor people and offering them free food. That's not fair. <laughs> and they're welcoming them into their love. Come and be part of this. You're one of us. I'm not sure that the church looks that much different all around Perth. Just no one's really writing about us. Everyone that seems to write about us writes about everything that's wrong with us. It doesn't feel that often people put on a Christ-like lens and write about the church in her beauty. Is there a child that hasn't got something to get discipled in? Not a chance. But should parents then just think about all the child is bad at? Or should there be some encouragement? in what the child has grown in and is good at. Why? Not so that you can be boosted, but so that we can recognize what the Holy Spirit's doing and worship God. So that we can glorify Him, that our hearts can be filled with gratitude, that the power of God made manifest at the cross through the resurrection of Jesus, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, is still that same power working in our lives today, and we can be filled with joy and give God thanks. And then filled with hope and faith that God can do even more. One thing I want to do with you before we go and pray, uh, before we take communion, is it says they were devoted to the prison. One of the things that, that commentators say they think occurred is that the new church, it's the prayers. They were, they were doing some um, written prayers, they were, and they, they're not exactly sure. Some of it would have certainly been the Jewish prayers that were prayed out of the Old Testament. But they think that it was probably also Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples. Uh, our God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And they, they think that the, the church would have done that in groups three times a day. Imagine praying that three times a day. You know, towards the end it goes, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That to me is more real. When I pray that like once or twice a year, I'm like, I can't even remember the sins that I'm trying to forgive. I mean, the bitterness or the anger is so deep inside of me. I've justified myself for months now. When you're praying that three times a day, you don't really have time. You know, the thing you got offended by, you know, it's an hour old. In order to be able to forgive me my sins as I forgive who I feel has sinned against me. It reminds me. When you're taking, when you're feasting every day together, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't take, the, don't take communion until you've made right with your brother and sister. When you're praying, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And when you know you're about to go to a meal where you're going to take the Lord's 
Sapa, and you're not going to uh, take it without talking to your brother. I mean, really, you are constantly living in a place of forgiveness. Unity. There's a blessing when God's people dwell together in unity. Don't think of that in black and white terms. As we're reading Acts, there's some problems that arise. There's some problems that, yeah, widows aren't getting fed. Some widows are getting fed, some aren't getting fed. And it's like a, who, you know, what's your nationality kind of problem. It's terrible. It could divide the church. And they have to deal with it. It's, they're not perfect. They're people. Yet, you know, single people in King's Cross could go, you guys are always celebrating people with babies. We feel like we're on the outside. That's a problem. We're not perfect. How do we figure that out? But it can still be spirit-filled. The reason we have problems is because we're not perfect. The reason we have hope for them is because the Holy Spirit empowers us to get through it. So this is what I want to do with prayer, and then I'll hand over for communion. Uh, won't, you, won't you please stand with me? Close your eyes. Let's join in the prayers, as they said. Let's assume that the commentators are right, that they actually did say, Our Father, which, you know, the Lord's Prayer, three times a day. Certainly there'd be nothing wrong with saying it once today. I, I'm just going to start it off, but when I thought about this as I prepared, thought about doing this, why, why don't you close your eyes and, and get like super prayerful. What I imagine, I actually couldn't get further. I, I couldn't get through the prayer. Because as I imagined us standing together as the church of Jesus Christ, who by the grace of God have been rescued from individualism and placed in a community where the Holy Spirit empowers us towards a resurrected life together with the churches in Perth and all over the world. All I could get to is this, and I'm going to say it, and then just ask us to reflect. All I could think of is our Father. Our Father. Would you just take one minute before Jib takes us to communion and just reflect on that. The Christians all over the world for 2,000 years can get together, those who've gone to be with the Lord and those who are alive and those who are in this room, we can all say right now together, talking to God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth, the righteous judge, the merciful giver of salvation, we can say to Him, whom we can't even look upon without dying in our earthly, in this existence, so glorious and radiant is His light, so holy is He that we literally cannot, uh, our bodies would melt in His presence. We can say together, Our Father. Not my, not your. Our. And not Master or God or Ruler of all, which is all true, but our Father. Can you just take one minute to reflect on that and let the Holy Spirit melt that truth upon your heart? When we are devoted to the prayers, what we are going to is our Father.